Welcome to another podcast from the Royal College of Psychiatrists. My name is Raj Pasord, and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based at the Bethlehem Royal and Maudsley Hospitals in South London. Joining us today is Professor Tony Charman, who is a professor based at the Institute of Child Health attached to University College London. And he and some co-authors have published a fascinating paper in the December edition of the British Journal of Psychiatry. And the title of the paper is Efficacy of Three Screening Instruments in the Identification of Autistic Spectrum Disorders. So, Tony, let me start off by asking you, because this word autism is bandied around a lot, but sometimes people are using the term rather loosely. What does it actually mean? Well, what it means at one sense is fairly easy to explain. It's a description of children who have certain features in their behaviour and development. They have problems with social interaction, they have problems in verbal and nonverbal communication, and they show rigid and repetitive behaviours. So at one level, that sounds quite straightforward. The, the problem is, I think, as you're pointing out, is that this is no longer understood to be a sing- single unitary disorder. It's a description that describes a broad range of ch- children's presentations, and now people often use the term autism spectrum disorder orders to indicate that actually there are different sort of variants of autism. Children may have autism but look very different from one another. Some might be very able um, but have very rigid behaviour and be rather strange socially. Others may have no communication skills, not be able to speak, spend all their time engaged in very repetitive uh, sensory motor activities as we call them. So it describes a very wide range of children but there is a common core. And could you just run over again what that common core or the common concept is that you're looking for that brings all these different autistic uh, spectrum disorders together? Well, I think it's the the social impairments, the predominant sort of thing. So it's something that actually, you know, the presentation in children and in adults is that they're not asocial, not that they don't necessarily show any social interest, but they have a reduced social interest compared to other individuals. Or if they have social motivation, they're rather poor at sort of integrating social behaviour. So they're not successful in the sort of social behaviour and the communication that they attempt. So it's primarily seen as a uh, as a condition of, uh, uh, of social impairment where your ability uh, um, to um, uh, engage with other people, understand with other people, your interest in other people is different than the usual development. Now, your paper is looking at screening instruments. What is a screening instrument? Well, a screening instrument is um, uh, uh, usually in the form of a sort of checklist completed by um, parents or clinicians. In our case, it was three different instruments completed by parents. They usually need to be quite brief, and the idea of a screen is that you may have a population, a clinic sample or a research sample, and you want to say who might have a condition such as autism in this sample. The idea of a screen is that you apply that to everyone, and then possibly individuals who are scoring above some threshold, some cut point on the screen, may go on to further assessment. So you might then um, divert them into, a, for instance, in a clinical service for a specialist service for children with autism. But why bother with a screening instrument? Why not get a, just a doctor or a psychologist to see the person and interview them and, make, and come to a decision? It's a good question. No, it's, um, it, it, it's seen as more cost efficient, that actually some of the procedures for doing full assessments for children uh, um, with autism involve more than one professional, involve several assessments, they take a considerable amount of time. So in a way, they're very cost expensive for a clinical service or for indeed for a research project. Um, And the idea behind a screen is that you pick out the most likely cases who are likely to need that in-depth assessment rather than um, refer everyone um, who, uh, who comes to the service for that in-depth assessment. So it's, it's, it's partly thinking about cost-effectiveness. When you talk about a screening instrument, is this like a questionnaire that people might fill out, a pencil and paper set of tests, or is it something you might ask them to do, or is it you might involve parental observation or, or clinical observation? 
it can mean all of those things, but actually in, 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 in our paper and in the, in the field of autism, when people talk about screens at the moment, what they're usually thinking of is exactly that. It's a checklist. So it's a pen and paper um, checklist asking parents and uh, uh, usually a limited number of questions. In some of our screens, there are sort of 40 questions. In others, there are more like uh, 75 or 100. But they're fairly simple questions, either with yes, no answers or one, two, three rating scales. And they're usually completed within sort of a 10-minute sort of time frame. Then you add up the scores on that screen and then depending on what you're you the purpose you're using that screen for then you make decisions about whether you refer that child on whether that child gets included in your study so it's usually um parents that are filling out the form it is. Um, you can, in different um, uh, in different situations, one can also ask, for instance, teachers to complete sort of screening checklists. And in fact, in in some of our studies, um, uh, uh, in the in the study that's reported, but not in that paper, we have also used teacher information on sort of screening checklists to uh, identify parts of the cohort to do other sorts of research studies. So I think it's most common for it to be in clinical practice for parents. Although I think what's quite interesting is that we know in psychiatry in general, when you get information on things like screens both from parents and from teachers that's usually very helpful because children can behave somewhat differently at home than they do at school so screens can be completed by teachers and parents in our study and I think most commonly in the field people are usually talking about parent completed checklists. Now the fact that your paper is about three screening instruments um, suggests that there's obviously quite a few out there why are there so many uh, screening instruments out there? Well, if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago, I would have said there aren't very many out there and most of them haven't been very well um, uh, validated um, because of uh, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the way our understanding of autism has changed and the increase in sort of research and clinical concerns about autism, autism spectrum disorders, means that there has been, as you're suggesting, you know, um, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 an explosion of the number of sort of screens that are produced. In fact, we used three different screening instruments, two specifically that are screeners for autism, one that's a screener for what's more, a more broad problem with communication called pragmatic impairments. But there are at least three or four other screens sort of out there if you want to have it on the market. Um, and the reason we were interested in looking at this in our sample is that most of the groups who have reported um, the properties of screening instruments, i.e. that's testing out how well they work, have only looked at one instrument. And one of the issues that you need to um, guide clinicians with is thinking four different questions four different samples for different clinic populations which might be the screen that you should be thinking about choosing so ours is the first study to um, uh, compare directly against each other different screens the paper starts off with the word efficacy what do you mean by efficacy in this context well, i think it goes back to the idea of sort of um, uh, cost efficiency sort of before that depending on what purpose you're using the screen for um, you may be more interested in for instance if you're doing running a particular clinical service or a particular research study where your primary goal is to identify as many of the cases that are out there in the population you're sampling as possible then what you want is what's called a very high sensitivity you want to identify most of the cases that are out there. There may be other situations, um, depending on the question that's being asked and the purpose you're using the screens for, um, where actually it's more important that you don't identify um, people who are scoring positive on the screen above the cut point who don't have the disorder of interest. So in our our, um, uh, uh, study, don't have autism. So there what you want is a very high what's called specificity. That is that the majority of the individuals who are falling above the threshold on the screen do have the disorder um, of concern. 
So depending on the question that's being asked and the purpose for which you're doing the screening, either in a clinical service or in a research study, the, uh, the efficacy of the screen sort of matters, and that's not always the same, that's not always the same instrument property. Does um, the prevalence, and I think you hinted at this in your last answer, I mean, how prevalent the condition is, is that kind of important in, in this term efficacy? In other words, if you're dealing with quite a rare condition where you might be screening 100 children of which only one of them is likely to have the disorder, do you have to worry a little bit more about the properties of the instrument as opposed to if 80 children have the disorder out of 100? That's exactly right. Um, we, in the paper, we outline a couple of different sort of hypothetical scenarios to try and illustrate sort of some, um, some of these exact same sort of points. As you indicate that in, in, um, depending on the relative prevalence of autism in the sample that you're using the screen for, then how much you weight um, the issue to do with sensitivity, how many of the cases you identify, how much you weight the issue of specificity, how many of the non-cases you correctly identify, really matters quite a lot. So that's why it's helpful to look at different screening instruments, because in fact the three screens that we used actually ended up having quite different um, properties according to things like some had much higher sensitivity but much lower specificity. So for some purposes, that would be a good screen. For other purposes, that would be the worst screen. Um, so what would you say your main finding was from the paper? Well, I think the main finding is that um, all the three screens performed reasonably well, um, uh, depending on what use they're being put to. Certainly, you know, um, uh, they, they all, in our sample, all the three screens were quite good at dividing up the cases who went on to have a diagnosis of autism from the cases who, who didn't go on to have a diagnosis of autism. But they did differ somewhat from one another. So certainly one of the screens, a social communication questionnaire, for some particular questions appeared to work better than some of the other screens. Um, it's also true that all of the screens um, did less well in children who had higher rates of comorbid psychiatric conditions. Was it um, possible from your study to get a sense of which areas that the screen was probing in terms of child behaviour that helped the screen work better? In other words, did it give a guidance as to what, what screening instruments should really focus on I think that's a very good question. It's not something we looked at in this sample. Um, it's something potentially we sort of could lack, uh, uh, look at, and I know other groups are sort of looking at that um, who are using these same and other screening instruments. Um, it is possible to look at the sort of areas or domains of behaviour the screens are um, inquiring about to work out which of the areas might be most important. For sort of prag pragmatic reasons, we didn't go down that route in this analysis. We did consider that. What we wanted to do is, is take three of the most widely used screens that have well-established cut points and just report for the clinical community out there how at those established cut points using the whole screen scores as they're commonly used how do these screens work your question is I think a good one that needs other data sets probably larger data sets to answer when you look at um, uh, uh, different screening instruments at an item level or a subdomain level what are the particular subdomains or items indeed are important for being better or worse in a particular sample at identifying autism. We chose to stick to the sort of established cut points because these are screens that are increasingly being used in clinical practice and we wanted to speak directly to clinicians who are using them. So in terms of um, a clinician who might be listening uh, to this, what, what could be the take-home message for them? Well, I think the take-home message is, has to be at least two points. The first point is that these screens can be used for useful for identifying likely cases of autism or autism spectrum disorder. The second point, and we emphasise this strongly in the paper, is that a result on a screen, so a child being screen positive, does not 
equate to a diagnosis. Being screen positive does not mean the child has the condition, does not mean the child has autism. It's an indicator of relative risk. Within a particular sample, a, a, a child who's screen positive is likely is more likely to um, have autism uh, than a child who's screen negative. But you still need to go, need to go on and complete the four diagnostics um, assessment. So it's not a substitution for a diagnostic assessment, but it can be a, um, a reasonably good indicator of the likelihood of a child having the condition. And hence, you might go on and refer that child for a more comprehensive assessment. The, the efficacy of screening instruments can um, appear at first glance a somewhat dry academic subject, but doesn't it have quite a lot of pertinence to this very hot topic at the moment that the media are a bit obsessed with, about the, the, the notion there could be a rising rate of autism? The rising rate depends on how you measure autism, doesn't it? And it, and it depends on whether the instruments you have used 10 years ago are the same instruments you're using now. I, um, uh, it does, you're exactly right. And um, as part, this, is a, this is part of a broader study that we published in the Lancet last year that was reporting the rate of the broadest definition of autism spectrum disorders being just over 1% of children. And that um, got a lot of attention in the media internationally. What we also tried to emphasise in that study, and I think perhaps has not been um, reported as widely, is exactly that point. So if you look at the prevalence of autism within this this um, study of which this paper is um, uh, um, a part that actually depending on w whether you go for a very broad definition of autism and the, the prevalence in our study was over one percent or the narrowest definition in our study then it's actually four and a half times less than that so the prevalence is 0.25 percent so as you say w because autism is not a disorder we have exact tests for there's no biological markers for autism in general it's a behaviorally defined disorder you have to set sort of thresholds of, of um, uh, how severe the impairment in social behaviour, communication and rigid behaviour is and whether you set that very broadly or very narrowly is going to affect prevalence rates. I think it's very likely that that's, that lies behind most of this apparent increase in prevalence but it's very hard historically to go back and answer that question for sure. Tony Charman, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Raj.